Hey everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament, and today we have come to the final book for this year, the book of Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, written by the Apostle John while he was in exile on the island of Patmos, which is uh, present-day Turkey, uh, the, right off the coast of it. It was addressed to seven real churches, right? These churches of Asia Minor. And Revelation begins with these letters from Christ himself to these churches, letter that, letters that include commendation, criticism, <clears throat> and comfort. And then comes a long series of visions of judgment on the wicked, all in very highly symbolic language. And as you see throughout Revelation, these are visions, these are, are cycles, they, these, they're recapitulating cycles, which are telling a, a similar story of the victory or the triumph of the Lamb from different vantage points or perspectives throughout. And so the primary focus of these, these cyclical uh, visions that are recapitulating throughout ultimately are the judgment of the wicked, the salvation or redemption of the saints, and ultimately the triumph of the Lamb. So with that little introduction, let's go ahead and let's read the opening chapter. We'll make some comments here throughout. Here we see the prologue first in verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. All right, so in this prologue, it, what we get here is this little bit of information that helps orient us to the content that we are about to receive, right? The stress is placed on the divine authority of the message. It is from God and Jesus Christ. We see its certainty. Note the word must there. These things must soon take place. And its crucial relevance. The time is near. The, the imminency of which this message is given. God makes through a thorough provision for the communication process. The message originates with God the Father, is given to Jesus Christ, and is thus made known to John through angelic, uh, basically, messengers. And John testifies by writing it. All are encouraged to read and hear it because it is a blessing to God's people. Notice that it, blessed are those who hear, who keep, what is written in it, right? This is a, a beautiful reminder. Blessed are those who hear it as opposed to blessed are, are those uh, who are confused by it. This book is given to a bless, as a blessing to the church and not as a means of confusion or division. And, and that is so important because it, under, it, un, it, it notes the nature of comfort that this message of revelation is meant to bring. It is not meant to produce fear in the saints as opposed to not knowing what's going to go on, fearing evil or anything like that. It is, it is to produce comfort and hope in the reality of the victory of Christ. And then we get this greeting, kind of this opening greeting and, and doxology uh, in verses 4 through 8. John continues, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. Here we see John is writing this letter and designates himself as the author and greets the seven churches of the province of Asia. Now, why seven churches? There are actually a number of churches in Asia Minor that we know of that are not reflected of here. And I think the reason why the number seven, one is a practical reason. It was these seven churches that existed on the uh, kind of the road system, the main road system, the postal system uh, throughout the, the Asia Minor. And, and that is why the, it would have been easier for the message um, to be passed around, the letter to be passed around from them. But I think a more uh, kind of spiritual reason is that the seven churches are a reflection of the universal church, right? Seven is the number of completion. And so the message to these churches, I believe, is a, is a reference to the message that, or the fact that these messages are relevant to the universal church and not just the seven. The greeting comes from the triune God himself, and throughout the book, Jesus the Messiah is the mediator of divine testimony. He is preeminent in the new creation, and he is supreme over the kings who conspire against God's reign. John refers to the Spirit dramatically in terms of seven spirits, reflecting the number of perfection. Also, uh, the seven spirits who are, the reason why the Holy Spirit is referred to that is based upon the description of the Spirit, this sevenfold description that's found at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 11. The church, like the Son of Man and His people in Daniel chapter 7, are destined to hold dominion in a transformed world order. And Christ is the Passover's Lamb, whose love and sacrifice brings about a new exodus, a reordering of power in heaven and earth where the church has a royal and a priestly vocation. So John then adds two prophetic oracles here in verses 7 through 8, which are rooted in Scripture, highlighting respectively the vindication of Jesus, that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and a picture of his overall sovereignty. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Creator and the Consummator, who is, who was, and who is to come. And then, the letter closes by, give, by being given this beautiful revelation, this beautiful vision of the glorified Son of Man, the glorified Jesus. Verse 9 to the end of the chapter. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, so that's the reason for his exile, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice 
that was speaking to me, and, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like fl a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice, uh, in his in his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, "Fear not." I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery uh, of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The word of the Lord Thanks be to God. All right, so in verse 9-11, we get an identification of John and his circumstances, right? He is, he is on Patmos in exile on account of the word of the God and testimony of Jesus. In other words, he's in exile because of his faith. And we are told that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. It's the Spirit that is the one giving John these visions. These, this revelation comes directly from the Lord himself, uh, at, through inspiration, and it is on the Lord's Day. This is one of the first times that we get uh, a reference to Sunday as being the Lord's Day, the day of Christian worship celebrating Christ's resurrection. And the Sunday celebration anticipates the celebration of God's final victory. It's one of the reasons why we worship on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, because it is a foreshadow of the victory to come as well as a reality of the victory that's already been given in Christ Jesus. This opening vision constituting the John's prophetic commission came to him while he's on the Lord's Day, and the loud voice tells him to write an account of what he saw and to send it to these seven churches. But when he turns, he saw the glorified Christ, whom he describes in language drawing directly from Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10. One like a son of man, standing among seven golden lampstands, recalling the seven branch lampstands in the temple. Now the figure is majestic. The one he sees is both royal and divine. And John falls at his feet in fear. That's what happens, right, when sinful beings... Uh, uh, come into the presence of one cloaked in holiness, it promotes a reverential fear, a righteous fear among us. Nevertheless, as he falls, Jesus tells him to not be afraid. He touches him and says, do not fear. And he commissions him as his messenger. The words, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, echo Isaiah's strongly monotheistic vision of God and the identification of God as the Alpha and Omega in Revelation itself. Christ, therefore, we are told, shares in the power, the rule, the glory, and the being of the one true God. Christ appears in overwhelming glory, like a son of man. The features of verses 12 through 16 are reminiscent of these Old Testament prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel, but include more distant similarities to many Old Testament appearances of God. The vision shows Christ as judge and ruler, first of all over the churches. His deity, authority, and conquest of death guarantee final victory. 
This vision of God's sovereignty exercised through Christ is a fundamental point of the message of Revelation. His warlike appearance anticipates his role in the final battle and looks backward to God's battle in the Old Testament. Christ presents the pattern in which the destiny of the whole university is summed up. Because all things hold together in Christ, the Trinitarian imagery of this text forms a foundation for the whole of Revelation. Because the Trinity is deeply mysterious, the imagery of Revelation has inexhaustible profundity. And it says that he stands in the midst of the seven lampstands, which John gives us a little interpretive tool at the end to show us how the seven stars are the angels of the churches. And that is the picture of these angels that are given direct watch and stewardship over the protection of these churches. And the the lampstands are the churches themselves. And Christ is in the midst of them. What a beautiful picture. Because remember, all the way back in the garden, God walks in the midst of the garden Uh, And here, God is now walking in the midst of his churches. And so the churches have become the dwelling place of God. The church is God's dwelling place. It is the temple of the living God where he serves, where he walks, where he lives among his people. What a great and beautiful, wonderful reality regarding the church. And what do lampstands do? They hold the light. They hold the light. Notice lampstands don't produce light. They hold it. The light is Christ, and we hold and shine forth the light of Christ. That is the beautiful picture of what the churches are. Christ in our midst, and we revealing his light to the world. As we bring this discussion of chapter 1 to a close, I want us to just notice the way in which this opening letter to persecuted Christians, and to the Christians in every age, in this present evil age that we live in, in a fallen world, what the opening revelation of Jesus gives us is this grand reminder that when we find ourselves in the throes of this world, uh, shrouded by the darkness of pain and sorrow and suffering and trials and tribulations, what we need more than anything else is a glorious vision of Christ. When we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves needing and desiring of hope, there is one place to turn our eyes, and that is to the glory of our Savior. For when we behold the glory of Christ, all the other things of this world grow dim in light of His glory and grace. And so as we, we begin this journey, as we, this final journey through our read-through of the New Testament, through Revelation, may you constantly be looking for the way in which the text brings revelation to the power, the sovereignty, the glory, and the might of our triumphant King Jesus. When things grow dark, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and you will see all that you need to help you persevere through the darkness of the hour. God bless.